Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Mark chapter 9. I'm so glad that you're here. What a great day. I've already had one good service and uh, right now, our Spanish service is happening in the chapel. We've already had our Amharic service and our first English service. So this is another one of the days. So cool. And then our youth service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. So that's cool. Very cool. And I came to Capernaum and when, and I'm glad to have my wife home. Anna Rebecca, it's so nice that you're home. My house is boring without you. And you make it awesome. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, this is Jesus, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. He sat down and he called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I want to speak over the next couple of weeks on the law of greatness. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you need to be a servant of all. Everyone say all. If you want to be great, you need to be a servant of all. Oh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to get into our life and penetrate and change us from the inside out. As you breathe on these men and women, Lord God, as I wrote letters and notes, Lord God, and it became the word, I pray that you'd breathe on us today, that your word would come alive. Let it not just be the Logos, but let it be a Rema, Lord, a revelation in our heart that changes us. Lord God, help us to discover things that maybe we've never heard before, never seen in your word before, or refreshing things that we already know, but maybe we've let go. We're not practicing them anymore. But Lord God, either way that you do it, I pray, God, that we would leave better today than when we came in and everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated, maybe high-five the person beside you, tell them how fantastic they're looking today. (laughs) They came to Capernaum and he was in the house. He asked them, what were you discussing on the way? So Jesus in the house, the disciples are there. They're all sitting down, they're relaxed, they're chilling. And Jesus just looks at them and he says, what were, you, what were you guys discussing on the way? Now, this is not a rhetorical question. This is not a, a, a multi-choice uh, answered question. To, to, to be honest, this is not a question Jesus is asking so he would get the answer. He already knows the answer to the question, but it says, but they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So Jesus like, okay, I heard you guys talking about stuff on the way. What were you talking about? And they're like, ah, just, just silence. So they're, they're just ghosting him. It's like no response, no, no, no. Rep- and they didn't want to because they, they felt busted. They like Jesus, that they'd been talking about 
who was the greatest? And they, they don't want to give an answer. I'm not sure if you've ever been asked a question. My, my mum would do that all the time. She'd ask questions like, did you clean your room? Obvious answer, no. That's why you still need to climb over the mountain of things to get to my bed. But I didn't want to say no, but I didn't want to answer. So you just, yeah. did, did you eat your vegetables? My teacher once said, is that you I can see cheating, John Morgan? I hope not. You get asked these questions that you're, and this is where the disciples were at, and, and because they'd been arguing with, with, with one another on which one of them uh, they felt like could be the greatest. They were, they were jockeying, if you like, for a leadership position. Now, recent events that took place may have actually spurned on the conversation. Uh, Peter would, would probably be like, well, obviously it's me. It's without doubt. It's, I, I'm Jesus, you know, number one guy. He, he asked you guys, who do men say that he is? And you gave your opinions. And then he turned to you and said, who do you say? And you just all drew a blank. I was the one who came out and said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said to me, not you, Jesus said to me, not you, just to me, not you. He said, Peter, you are the rock. And upon this rock, I am going to build my church. And so he stood me out from the crowd. Obviously, it's me. I'm very awesome. And then the disciples were like, yeah, Peter, you forgot a little bit of information. And he's like, what? He, he did then call you Satan. Probably not a compliment. And so then James and John is like, well, John, he's like, well, he obviously is going to position me. He loves me. I'm the disciple. Everyone knows it. They call me that. I'll probably record it one day. I am the disciple that Jesus loved. And so obviously it's me. James is like, well, John, it could be you, Peter. It could be you, but I'm definitely in the running because it was you, me, and, and, and Peter that went up on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. And none of these other nine disciples got to meet Moses. None of the other disciples got to meet Elijah. Obviously, Jesus is introducing us to Moses and Elijah because he wants to do something in us. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be in front or first. He just repurposes it. So they're arguing over who can be first. Jesus never ever says that you can't be first. He sat down, he called the 12, and he said, if anyone would be first, if any one of you want to be first. So, so first is not taken off the, the, the table. And the truth is, if you're going to follow somebody, then that person needs to be out in front. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishes of men. So Jesus said, follow me. I'm going to be out in first place. I'm not going to be standing behind you yelling out, turn left, turn right, look out for the mountain. Jesus is not doing that. He says, follow me. And then I will teach you how to have people follow after you. Leadership is all about being out in front. That's what leaders do. They get out in front. So Jesus is not disqualifying the leadership out front mentality 
One of my favorite things to do when I, when I travel, sometimes I go into a church, I preach there a couple of days, and because I'm in a different city, they, they all often have one of their church leaders, maybe it's a youth pastor or one of their team, sometimes it's the pastor if we're friends, will be my driver for the time that I'm there. And one of the things I like to do is if we come up to an intersection and there's a red light and like 10 cars are in the right lane and no vehicles are in the left and the driver that's driving me jumps in behind the 10 cars, my response usually is, you know why we're in this lane? And they'd be like, no, why? I say, because you're a follower. If you were a leader, you wouldn't be behind all these people. You would go out and get in front and be down the first person in the left lane. That's what leaders do. Sometimes I say, yes, but pastor, we've got to turn right fairly shortly after the light. And my, my response would be, if Jesus didn't want us to go fast, he wouldn't have given us an accelerator. <laughs> leaders lead. That, that's, what, that's, what they, that, that, that's what they do. We are Christ followers. So Jesus is the leader of our life. And then he has called us to lead others to follow after him. Their mindset was a, we want to be first mindset. And the problem was they were viewing that through their culture, their worldview. So for them at this moment, even though Jesus had talked about the cross, they weren't really thinking about the cross. They were anticipating a worldly kingdom. And so what they were thinking, well, Jesus would overthrow the government. He'd put in a brand new government. And so they're starting to think, okay, when Jesus does that, he's going to have to have a cabinet. When Jesus does that, he's going to have to have some people help him lead the nation. And so their whole context of leading the nation was through their society. And so they're like, obviously, Jesus is going to need a new Pontius Pilate. We want to, we want to be him. Or obviously, he's going to need a new Herod or a new Caesar or a new Caiaphas or somebody like that. So when those positions come available, which one of us are going to take those positions? They were looking for prominence. They were looking for authority. They were looking for people to serve them. They were looking for notoriety. And Jesus said, if anyone would be first, you must be last. Ricky Bobby said, if you're not first, you're last. Jesus said, Ricky Bobby, you're very, very close, but not completely right. If you want to be first, then you must be last. Christian leadership is not about the position that you have, but it is about more about the posture that you take when you're in the position. So it's not like you, you can't take first position, but when you're in first position, you've got to have a last place mentality. You've got to have a mentality about other people. Being last is not a feel position, it's more of a heart position. So if I'm out front in first, I'm not just asking people to serve me. I'm trying to work out how I can serve others around me. Now, being last when you're in first place means I live with a win-win mentality. If I'm first, but my heart is last, then I don't have everybody else here to make me win. I want to help everybody else win. And if you win, I win. I can't win unless you win. I need to win. So you can win. I need to help you win because that then becomes my win. The mentality is if we win, we all win. If God wins, we win. 
Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, he said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So he never said, don't have ambition. He never said, don't have vision, don't have goals, don't have dreams. In fact, the language of the Holy Spirit is dreams, visions, and prophecy. So God wants to give us dreams. He wants to give us uh, vision. He wants to give us prophecy. He wants us to lead and to be lead. He wants us to be salt and he wants us to be light. He wants us to have influence. And so God wants us to have all those things. So ambition is not wrong. What is wrong is selfish ambition. When I've got ambition that only uh, marries up to what I can get, it's self-centered. I want to win at the cost of everybody else losing. I I can't win mentality if anybody else wins. Then he says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So don't let anything be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, I want you to consider other people more important than you. Being humble is the key. Now, here's the thing about humility. Humility is never outsourced. It's never your job to humble somebody else. The Bible says, humble your in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So God says, I don't have any problem elevating you, but if I elevate you, I want to make sure that you can stay there. And the only way that you can stay there is if you have humility in your life and you're not conceited. So if you, can, if you can humble yourself in my sight, I'm going to lift you up. God never outsources your humility. It's always your responsibility. I remember being in a trust board meeting in our church in New Zealand, and it's like a deacon board. And one of the deacons turned to me and he said, it's my job uh, to keep you humble. That's what he said to me. It's your, his job to keep me humble. And so I responded very nicely. He said, I threw my Bible at him. That is not true. That is not true. I did not throw the Bible. I slid the Bible. I slid the Bible across the table. Yes, I slid it with force. And yes, I didn't go to a STEM class, so I don't understand aerodynamics. And maybe the wind caught under the flaps of the Bible and lifted it off the table a bit. But in my mind, I just pushed it towards him. And, and, and I just said to him, find me one verse in the Bible where God gives you the, the responsibility to keep me humble. And I just started to rattle off verses. This is one that I started with. Humble yourself. It's my responsibility. Not find people around you to humble you. And so God wants me to have humility. He wants you to have humility. Doesn't outsource your humility to anybody else. It's always your responsibility. Let not each of you not look only to his own interests. So again, your interests are vital and valuable. But he said, I don't want you to live your life where you're only looking at your own interests, but also the interests of others. Humility says, life's not all about me, my, I, my thing, I want, I need, I gotta. Humility says, I want to live my life that I have interests and and, and things that I like, but I'm also mindful of everybody else. Now, I believe church on Sunday would be a totally different gig if everybody came with that attitude. If we came to church, not about what's church going to do for me today or what can happen for me today or where I want to sit or what I, if we came with that mentality that when I come to church, it's not about me just getting, there should be something you receive, but it's not about just getting, what can I give? 
What can I give in the service? Who can I meet in the lobby? Who can I invite over to lunch? Even where you sit and how you participate in church, it determines how you view your involvement in church. When, when I'm in a church meeting, whether I'm preaching or not, whether it's my church or not, when I sit in that front row, I am mindful that I am creating an atmosphere. So when the preacher's preaching, I amen, that's good, I like that. I sit on the edge of my chair, I, I take notes. When praise and worship is happening, I'm not looking at the band like, make me worship. Come on, make me worship. Yeah, come on, Christian, jump around all you want, bro. Jump around like a yo-yo, jump around like a poke. I am not moving. Look at these feet, they're not. I'm not doing that. I, I, I am the atmosphere. I am bringing worship in. Why? Because there's other people that need to be lifted up. There's other people that have had a horrible week. There's other people that come in and for them to clap like this is a sacrifice of praise. And I want to be responsible that the atmosphere that we create in church, that I'm a part of creating the atmosphere. Yeah. Humility says, I don't come to church just for what I can get. Again, it's not, it's not wrong to get. Jesus is not look after your own interests. So your interests are important, but not only you, but about other people. I want to ask you to reframe the way that you approach church on Sunday. Just don't come in for what you can get and how it serves you, but come in and say, how, how can I get what I need, but how can I supply the needs of other people around me? That's the Bible principle of humility. The whole Bible premise is to be blessed so you can be a blessing. It's a win-win mentality. One of my favorite passages in the scripture is there's four uh, leprous men. They don't have any hope. They stay there. They die. Go into the city. They die. If they go to the Syrian camp, they're going to die. Never a good, never a good day when you three top options of operation are death. Just throwing that out. And so they, they weigh it up and they say, hey, listen, why don't we just go down to the Syrian camp? Worst thing can happen, we die. When they go down there, I don't know how God does it, maybe put some microphones or something and amplifies their footsteps and four leprous men sound like armies attacking the Syrians and they hear it and they run. So the four leprous men walk into the camp and no one's there. Tables left with food, all sorts of gold and stuff. And they're running around. They're shoving food in their mouth. They're putting gold in there. They're digging holes and burying it. They're, they're, they're having a great time. Four of them just walk into this abundance. And then they stop and they say this. This is the day of good things. If we consume this on ourselves, we're going to be judged. We were never meant to get this blessing just on us so we could be blessed. We have this abundance so we can go and tell the people that are dying of starvation and dying in poverty and facing, facing you know, crisis, where, where to go and open the door of freedom, where to take our blessing and create blessing there and let the prophetic word of God come to pass of what God said he was going to do. That's an I'm blessed to be a blessing man, man, mentality. And so we've got to live with that. And it's easy to serve and it's easy to honor and it's easy to be last when you know that you can be first, but you choose to be last. You know that, you know that you're in a position of authority, but you don't use that authority just to make yourself feel good, that you can use that authority to help other people be blessed. 
He sat down, he called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and a servant of all. The, 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 the operative words here are of all. If you want to be first, you need to be last of all. If you want to be great, nothing wrong with that, but you need to be a servant of all. All of us are called to be servants. And all of us are called to be servants of all. We need to serve with an of all mentality. That needs to be our mentality. He sat down, called the 12. He said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. He took a child, put him in the midst of them, taking him in his arms. He said to them, whoever receives one child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. So if you want to be great, if you want to live out greatness in your life, if you, if you want to lead, then you have to grasp the of all mentality in serving. A servant's heart, according to Jesus, is multi-directional in its aim. A servant's heart, according to Jesus, is multifaceted in its application. A servant's heart, according to Jesus, is very broad in its scope. If you want to be a servant, you need to be a servant of all. Now, the of all that Jesus is talking about operates on three different levels. Jesus said, if you want to be a servant of all, then you need to serve the child. So he grabs a child and he, and he holds the child, brings the child on his knee. And he's not doing that because the child is cute. You, you can't view little Johnny that's sitting on Jesus' knee like your little Johnny or like my grandson Marcus or Luca. You can't, you, you, you can't, you can't judge them or Kai. The, the, you, you, can't, you can't judge them on the cuteness of your grand. No, back in that day, the child had no value. They could sell the child, get rid of the child, just treat the child like trash. It had no value. The child wasn't cute. The child was zero value. So Jesus chose the child to say, listen, how you treat the least, the people with no value, is how you treat me. So, so you have to serve. You have to serve out. You need to learn how to serve out. You need to serve people that are less fortunate than you. You learn to serve people that don't have what you have. You have to have a mindset to help people who can't help themselves. You need to be able to serve them. You need to love your neighbor. Then Jesus said, but if you serve the child, then you're serving me. And if you serve me, then you're serving the father. So now Jesus introduces another level. I would call it being beside. Jesus said, if you serve out, you serve the child. That's great. Serving the child, you in essence serve up by serving me. And, and if you serve me, you're on my level. So love your neighbor as you love yourself, then if you serve me, then you serve the Father. I would call that serving up. So you serve out, serving the child. You serve beside, serving Jesus. You serve up, serving the Father. Love your neighbor as you love yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. 
So Jesus introduces three uh, levels of uh, serving. Now, the serve up mentality is probably one of the greatest challenges I think we have in the church because to serve up is to acknowledge somebody's actually up. And that takes humility. To serve up means someone's better than you. You have to say that that person is better at what they do than the way I do it. And that takes humility to acknowledge somebody's better or faster or beyond where, where you are at. Somebody's bigger than you or somebody has a, a, a larger organization or a larger team. Somebody is faster than you or just they, they eclipse you in that particular area of expertise that, that you have. It actually takes humility. But Jesus said, if you want to serve the Father, then you serve me. And if you want to serve me, serve the child. So we serve up, we serve beside, we serve out, up, down, around, all around. We have a heart of service to every dimension. The of all mentality is the Christ servanthood mentality. That's how Jesus served. Serving any level, serving out, serving beside, and serving up. And so we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at this. How do I serve up? How do I serve uh, beside? How do I serve out? How do I be a servant of all? Everyone say servant of all. How do I be a servant of all? How do I serve in every direction? I want to touch on one briefly today that doesn't usually get touched on in church. Uh, Jesus is the perfect example of serving all. And I want to, I want to talk about serving up so we serve all. Most people are comfortable with serving out or serving beside, but not that comfortable serving up serving people over them, or even acknowledging anybody is over them, is, is, is a challenge for a lot, a lot of people. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 to 28, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the part right there that most people would say serving up, eh, not true. That's not how Jesus operated. Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve. That, that's the part where everything gets sort of like locked down. And Jesus didn't come to be served. That is absolutely true. But it's also true that Jesus didn't do all the serving. It's true, Jesus said it. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. But it's equally true that Jesus didn't do all the serving all the time. When they fed the 5,000, Jesus didn't do anything except bless the food, give it to the disciples. In fact, they came to Jesus and said to Jesus, we have this big crowd here, everyone's hungry. Jesus didn't respond, oh no, I should cook a meal. I, I, I've got to be a servant of all. I, I didn't come... To, to, to be served, I came to serve. Give me a sec, and then to go out and like iron shepherd, like and come out and feed everybody. No, G Jesus said, "You go and get something. You find it. You serve." They brought it back to Jesus. He blessed it. He said, "You feed them." After they fed the five thousand, Jesus said, "You clean up the mess." So Jesus came to serve, but he didn't serve 
all the time. And you may go, well, what about washing feet? Didn't Jesus come and wash feet? Yeah, he did wash feet, but he didn't wash everybody's feet all the time. He didn't have like, I must wash everybody. He washed feet a few times. And he washed feet a few times just to demonstrate, I know who I am. I'm the savior of the world, but I don't think I'm so great that I can't take time out to wash somebody else's feet. That was the point. And there were times that Jesus clearly anticipated that someone would go out of their way to wash his feet. Luke chapter 7, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. You gave me, you gave me no water for my feet. That would suggest a certain degree of expectation. I came into the house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But this woman, from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And she who loved much, but he who is forgiven, little ones loves, who is forgiven little, loves little. So Jesus said, I came into the house and, and you were, listen, you weren't angry that she was washing my feet. You were angry at who was doing it. That was the point. She was dodgy. She was like, not, not a, everyone knew this woman. She may have been skimpily dressed. We don't know. But this woman had a bad history. So no one was angry that she was washing his feet. They were just all angry at who she was. Like, don't you know who she, the Pharisees, like, don't you know, don't, don't you know anything, Jesus? You know nothing. You're letting her wash your feet. And Jesus wasn't responding with, oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, Jesus' response was, I came in here and you did nothing to serve me. You didn't offer me a drink. You didn't anoint my, my head. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't have any water. And she hasn't stopped. Why? Because she is so grateful for what I've done in her life. And you are showing your ingratitude by not doing any serving. You are, you are not positioning yourself to be last by not doing any serving. Being a servant of all is not doing all the serving all the time. But it does require a servant's heart to be willing to serve at any time. So being a servant of all is not doing all the serving all the time, but it is the servant's heart that is willing to serve at any time that you need to. So Jesus is like, I'm quite comfortable with this woman washing my feet. You should have probably done it. But equally, what? there's somebody that needs their feet washed. I don't think I'm too good to not be able to wash their feet. So if, if it needs to be done and no one else can do it, then I'm going to step into the gap and I am going to do it. The servant of all's heart never says, I'm too good to do that. I'm not willing to do that. I, 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 I won't do that. The servant's heart is willing to allow someone else to be blessed by allowing them the opportunity to serve. So a servant's heart is how you engage. Jesus did not come to be served. He came to serve. And this is where he served. 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So when the Son of God didn't come to be served, he came to serve. His serving wasn't accounted to him because he washed somebody's feet. That'd be like you saying, I, I'm an amazing servant. Somebody came over to my house the other day and I made him a cup of coffee. That, yeah, that's, that's cool. Like you come to my office, I'll make you a coffee. I make people coffee in my office all the time. But you make somebody a coffee? Yeah, I'll make you a coffee. But you know how hard it is for me to make you a coffee? I put the cup under the machine. I put a pot in it. I go, there's your coffee. So that, there's no like, whoa, look at me, serving a boy. But it really didn't do anything. So Jesus is not like, hey guys, I'm a servant of all. Washed a couple of feet. No, how did Jesus, how did Jesus serve? He became obedient to the point of death. He served us by serving the Father's plan. He was obedient to the Father's request, and we are all beneficiaries of his obedience. He was obedient to the Father's request, and we are all beneficiaries of his humility and of his serving up. Jesus served the Father's plan. Jesus served up, and by serving up, he serves all. If we were to understand that as we serve up, we actually get to serve beside and out, we get to serve all when we serve up. Probably, I think, the great, one of the greatest biblical illustrations of serving up serves all is Joseph. Joseph spent all of his life serving somebody else's vision. Dad's like, hey, take lunch to your brothers. He could have been like, no, brothers hate me. You gave me the Technicolor dream coat, I go, meh, and they're wearing beige. They don't like me. They hate me because of my coat. They hate me because of my dreams. They can, they can starve. No, Joseph said, Dad, I'll serve you. If you want me to serve, I'll humble myself. I'll take my brother's lunch. So he takes the brother's lunch. It didn't work out good for him because they sold him into slavery. For whatever reason, they didn't like the lunch. And so he gets sold into slavery. Now he's in slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. What does he do? He serves up. He serves Potiphar so good that nothing is withheld from him except his wife. Then the wife takes a liking to him, makes a false accusation. He gets thrown in jail. What does he do in jail? He serves up. When he gets serves up, he says, remember me when you get out. They forget him. He's rotting in jail. And then Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret it. They say, we know somebody who's pretty good at that. They bring Joseph out of jail. He's in jail. He's rotting away in jail. He's dressed as a prisoner. It's not a great place. They bring him out of jail. They put him into Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh says, what is my dreams about? And Joseph interprets the dreams. Seven good years, seven bad years. This is what I think you should do. Pharaoh says, you're smart. Will you work for me? Pharaoh employs Joseph, lets him ride the second chariot, puts him over all the administration of the land. And Joseph commits to serve for seven good years and then to back that up for seven bad years. Most people will serve when it's good. Few people will serve when it's bad. A lot of people want to serve when everything is going fantastic, but a lot of people bail when it gets a little bit difficult. A lot of people in church serving in 2019. A whole heap of people bailed in 2020 because when it got tough, a lot of Christians couldn't show their fortitude or their longevity. It's just too hard to do. But you've got to commit to the good and the bad. The good and the bad. The good and the bad. So Joseph served Pharaoh's dream. 
He served up for 14 years. And the beneficiaries of him serving up were all the nations that got blessed. Pharaoh's nation survived. Other nations survived because Pharaoh had food in the famine. Joseph's own family, who thought Joseph was dead, became beneficiaries of Joseph serving up because as he served up, the blessing went out. When you serve up, you're a servant of all. By serving up, all get blessed. It's the principle. The reality is that you and I today, we sit here. If you're a Christian, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're here today because Joseph served up. Not only did Joseph's all include his family and his generation, all in here today, we are all beneficiaries, beneficiaries of his serving up. Because when he served up, he provided food for Judah. Judah stayed alive. Important to keep Judah alive in a famine. Why? Because Judah was carrying the seed to Jesus. No Judah, no Jesus. Judah dies, no Jesus. No Jesus, no salvation. So Joseph served up, and you and I are still reaping the rewards of Joseph serving up. We can get this in our head. It makes a big difference. As, as I come in with my, I'm a slave of all, servant of all mentality, and I bring that to serving up, and as I serve up and make whatever is up for you great, then the trickle-down effect is impact other people. Yeah. I think that should be the mark characteristic of, of a Christian at work. You should be the best employee. Or if you're an employer, you should be the best boss. But if you're working for somebody, if you, if you're, whether it be a bank or the government or, or, or a contractor or, or a store or the travel, wherever you work, if you're working for somebody, when you come in, your servant of all mentality should be, how can I do my best today? When that customer comes in, you should be smiling. Why? Because you want that customer to feel fantastic. Why? Because you're serving up. When that, when that customer comes in and they're a pain in the booty, you just smile and you're trying to find an answer for them. You're doing your best. Why? To be able to serve up so everybody's blessed. Because if the company thrives and they have to get new employees and other people can find employment, the person coming in gets blessed. You're a servant of all. But you've got to walk in with that. How? how, how? It, the easiest form of serving has to be serving with a smile. Like you can't have I'm a slave of all mentality if you're not willing to smile at somebody at work or be friendly or love on somebody or find a solution. If any of you are in customer services, for the love of all things holy, Be the person that tries to be in customer solutions, not services. Is there anything worse than speaking to somebody, trying to find a solution, and, and they just keep quoting the same dialogue back at you so good that I could quote it better than you because you've quoted it to me so many times? It's amazing how little tiny things just make a difference. So Dr. Anna was uh, flying back from Ghana last night. I think you had like a five or six hour wait from the flight from Kumasi to getting on the plane here. And so she went to the Marriott Hotel where we'd been staying the week before. She's not a guest. 
And so she asked if she could go into the lounge that they have there. And you, technically, you can only go into the lounge if you're a guest, and you go and go in the lounge if you're a guest and you have status. And she's not staying in the hotel or has status. And so she's like, was there, and, and they said, well, it's a $50 fee, but, but we're not supposed to do this, but we can let you in. And so they did that, so she was able to go and work and, you know, all the things that she did for a few hours when she wasn't supposed to be there. But somebody there said, we know what the, we know what the policy is, but it's not going to hurt. You know what hotel I'll stay in next time I'm in Ghana? It's going to be the married I'm not even going to look at another hotel. Why? Because that sort of serving attitude opens it. Maybe when you go to Accra, you'll stay there because I just told you it's a really good hotel. So out of one serving, one person, you could get a whole, you're watching online, you may be watching in Accra, staying in your house, you're like, I'm not sleeping in my bed tonight and go to the married hotel and stay there tonight. We don't know. Some years ago in Australia, uh, sorry, in New Zealand, I was traveling to Australia on the Monday. person I was traveling with was going out on the Saturday. And so I, I went and checked them in uh, at the uh, Air New Zealand, uh, the, sorry, the Qantas lounge, uh, Qantas check-in. I had status with Qantas. I said, can you put my guests in the lounge today? They're supposed to be flying with me, but I've got to fly out on Monday. We're not together. I know they're supposed to be with me. Can you put them in the lounge to, before they catch their flight? And they said no. I said, come on, if, if we're flying together, they'd be there. I'll give you, you give them the pass that they can take up. No, it's not our policy. They've got to be with you. I said, I know the policy. I know what the policy is. But that's why I'm asking, can you do it? They said, no. Why can't you? It's busy. I said, it's not busy. Look, at you, no one's flying. And they didn't do it. So I said, go to the United Airlines lounge. Tell them you're not flying United because they don't go to Australia. Tell them I have a, a United Club membership. Will they let you go in today, even though you're not flying with United at all? You're on Qantas. Went in. They said, certainly, come on in. That was 3.1 million miles ago. I've flown 3.1 million miles with United since that moment. They got, they got my loyalty based on a couple of cans of Coke and a pretzel. That's what it was. What was it? It was because somebody determined that they would just serve up. They would just be, they would just do the, the company really well. Uh, Dr. Wangham, the superintendent of the Ghana Assembly of God, he said, everyone's destiny is connected to someone else's vision. Joseph's destiny was connected to Pharaoh's vision. And so when you serve somebody else's vision, when you get in submission to somebody else's vision, your destiny can be connected with that. And I would put it to you, we all get to do things that we would never get to do by serving people that are above where we're at. The disciples, by serving Jesus, they got to, like, they're old with their grandkids, and they're like, I remember the time when I fed 5,000 people. You know, like, like, you can imagine Peter, like, with his grandkids around, children, yeah, and they're like, Granddad, you can hardly walk. Yeah, I know, but one day I walked on water. <laughs> like, with your walker? No, I was strong back then. He got to tell stories. Like, could you imagine, like, like Peter, like, I remember the day that Moses and Elijah showed up on the mountain. Like, no, who gets to tell that stuff? Why do they get to tell it? Because they just served up. When you serve up, you get to participate in things that are way beyond that you could ever do on your own. As a church, we serve up. 
We serve up. We get to do things. We're going into Ghana. We're going into Ghana next year. Why? Because we've asked Dr. Wangham, what's your vision? What's the vision of the Assemblies of God in Ghana? Church planning. How can we become a part of that? What can we do to serve up? What can we do to serve you? We're part of the Assemblies of God in America. We sponsor 85 missionaries every year through Assembly of God World Missions, and we participate in the gospel going out to nations as one church, connecting to Assembly of God World Missions, partnering with other Assembly of God churches around the nation, and getting to do things we couldn't do if it wasn't for serving up. Some of our team went to Peru. You would never have gone to Peru if you didn't serve up. Some of our team are going to El Salvador. You'd never get to, you'd never get to go to El Salvador if you didn't serve up. And by serving up, you get blessed. You get the testimony. That's really cool. But then the people in El Salvador will get blessed. The people in Peru will get blessed. People in Ghana are going to get blessed. Next year, people in Bulgaria are going to get blessed. We serve up by serving Convoy of Hope. We get under their mission. We fund their mission. We try to help their mission become a reality. And they take help all around the world to people we would never get to see. But when we serve up, we serve all. That's the mentality. When you serve up, you serve all. Russell, you can come and play something, something with like a serving up feel. Moses was serving all. Moses had a big crowd and he was doing everything. He was the servant of all. And then Jethro said, you dumb. This is not smart. People aren't doing good. You're not doing good. You, you, need to, you need to get some teams. You need to have people serve down. You need, to, you need to get a team under you. And you can serve all by these people serving you by serving all. Because if you, if you keep doing what you're doing, Moses, you're going to burn out and the people aren't going to get it. And, and, and the Bible says uh, that they were, people were able to endure and the people had peace in that place because Moses distributed the opportunity for everybody to serve. Jesus said, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. If, if you're not a leader, then you can do way more in your life if you, can, if you can serve a leader. If you're not a visionary, you can do more with your life if you can serve visionary leadership. If you're not a self-starter, then you can do way more with your life by serving someone who can motivate you to do the things that you never, ever thought you could do. The disciples got to do things that they could never, ever thought it was humanly possible to do. Being last is not a field position, it's a heart position. The Bible says a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. A man's gift now, in that context, it was talking about a bribe. It was talking about you giving money, like when the Queen of Sheba gave money to Solomon to open up a door of opportunity to have an appointment. So the Queen of Sheba acknowledged Solomon smarter than her, so she serves up, even though she had authority, by bringing a gift, open the door, has an appointment with Solomon. She walks out of the appointment and go, he is way smarter than I thought he was. That was, that was the best investment of money I've ever made. And so she sent more money back to the person who didn't know, need any money. Why? Because of this scripture. Your generosity, your serving, your heart of a servant will open doors and put you in the, in the stream of greatness. If you can serve up, 
then everybody's going to benefit out of your experience serving up. And I know there's some challenges with that. I'll talk a little bit about that uh, next week. But if you can serve up, you can serve all. Some years ago in Australia, uh, I, I, I was flying to a conference and my pastor was there and he, he was uh, working in the Assemblies of God uh, executive. And so I said to him, hey, listen, I'm going to be in town for a few days. Can I get a couple of, can I get coffee with you? I'd love to spend a couple of hours with you just to talk over some things. He said, sure, that would be great. So I flew in on the Monday, came in early, and then he called me when I got into the country and he said, hey, listen, um, I've had some things come up. I can't be in town. I've got to fly out today. I've got to fly to Tasmania. I'll be there for the next four days. I'd love to meet with you, but I can't meet with you. I'm sorry, but I have to bail on our appointment. And I said to him, who's taking you to the airport? He said, I'll probably just catch a cab or somebody will drive me. I said, can I, can I come and, and get you and drive you to the airport? And he was like, what would you want to do? I was pastoring a church. I was leading Youth Alive New Zealand. Why would you come and drive me? Well, because I get time with you in a vehicle. He said, sure. So I went out to his house. I picked him up. I drove him from his house, which was way on the other side of town, to the airport. When I got to the airport, he had club access to the whatever lounge it was. And so we went in. I'd never been in one of those lounges before. They had free everything. Free pretzels, free mini cans of Coke. When he got on the plane, I stayed in the lounge. I was shoving pretzels in. I'm drinking Coke. It was awesome. It was like Disneyland. He landed back in town the next couple of, like, couple of days later, and he told his PA, hey, call John Morgan. He may want to come and get me. And so she called, like, do you really want to do this? Because you're driving traffic and, you know, you're driving across Sydney. It's not easy. And I said, I'd love to. So I went out to the airport, picked him up, drove him home. When I got to his house, he's like, would you like to come in and hang out a little bit? So I went and hung out with his family. That week I got to spend something like between four and eight hours with him because I, I served him driving the vehicle. Some people would say, well, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, well, you'd never get in the car. You'd never get my opportunity. Well, I wouldn't do that. Well, don't do it. But you will never get the opportunity. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him in front of great people. I was at a conference that, that next week and somebody talked about how busy he was, the pastor was. And they're like, he never has time for me anymore. And I said, man, I got to spend eight hours with him last week. So how did you get eight hours with him? I said, oh, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. I wasn't giving him my strategy. What was it? It's a servant of all mentality. Now, my time with him was incredibly valuable to me and then had the benefits to our church. Because it brings you in front of people that are way beyond where you're at. Think bigger, dream bigger, plan bigger, deal with bigger things. And, you are, and the only way to get into that sometimes is by serving up. And when you serve up, you walk out with the ability to serve all. If you want to be great, then you've got to be able to serve in any direction. If you want to be great, you have to serve up. If you want to be great, you have to serve beside. If you want to be great, you have to serve out in every direction, up, down, out, whatever, around. You've got to have the servant's heart that you are a servant of all. Never a position, always a heart attitude. Let's pray.